Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio, along with Mike. We're going to talk about the true news as we stand on the flaming crater of France's sellout to the globalists. Emmanuel Macron has clinched the French presidency, beating out Marine Le Pen. It's tough, man. It's tough. You know, with Trump, there was a lot of variation in the polls, but not in France. And the numbers, basically 65, 35, came in pretty much where the polls all said they were going to come in. I've got a whole bunch of mixed feelings. I'll just sort of mention a few of them. Mike can chime in and then we'll get from the fields to the facts. But uh, I'm half and half. I am ambivalent. On the one hand, the French people as a whole have been betrayed by their intellectuals for two to three generations now, since, you know, the Marxists infested French intellectualism and universities and the media starting in the late 1950s, 1960s in particular. I'm going to do a bit more of a history on that in the future. So I view the average person as about as skilled in philosophy as I am in physics. You know, maybe I know a little bit, but I'm certainly no specialist. And the French people have been betrayed by the intellectuals that are supposed to stand guard on the walls against the loss of your civilization. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, there's the internet, and people have a goddamn responsibility to learn the facts about the situations that they're in. And there was a guy from The Rebel who went around and interviewed some people lining up to vote. It was all, uh, uh, we must vote for Emmanuel Macron because uh, Le Pen is shit, she is racist, she is xenophobe, all this stuff, right? And he would have quoted the other guy. The reporter asked them, well, what is it that you dislike about? What is her offensive positions? They didn't know. They didn't know. And for that, they're responsible, that they've just been programmed by the media to respond with these knee-jerk negative cultural Marxist phrase, resist, and no no thought, no analysis, no independent reasoning, no evidence, no facts, just emotion and avoidance and uh, conformity. Um, they are basically a bunch of computers who are programmed by the media and by the academics uh, so that it's cool. Uh, what do I have time to examine these positions? I have a next art collection to maintain. It's all just very... Very silly and very annoying. It has also struck me that, boy, remember when McDonald's and Disney World was opening in France? Man, they got annoyed. Man, they got angry. There was denunciations. There were editorials. There may have even been a march or two. Keep out this American culture. So they can identify a foreign culture and its dangerous impact upon their community. They just can't do it in the right direction. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. And they've put down America for so long. You know, long past is the days when the French floated over the uh, Statue of Liberty as a gift to the New World in respect and honor for its small government traditions. Now they have hated America and hated um, American culture and laughed at Americans' preference for gun ownership and the Second Amendment and so on. I don't know how long is it going to be until that hatred taste bitter in their mouths. So, eh, people say, Marine Le Pen, she's got in five years she can run again, and, you know, maybe she'll do better. I think the demographics are not in her favor. But in five years, at least some of the old people, we'll get to the demographics in a sec of who voted for who, but at least in five years, some of the last twitch, child-strangling machinations of the baby boomers will be behind as some of them have shuffled off this mortal coil after dealing perhaps a fatal death blow to the aspirations of native French youth with the vote for Emmanuel Macron. 
But uh, it's a, a difficult thing to look at on the one hand. On the other hand, I get to not care that much about what happens in France anymore. I mean, I, I worked, other people worked. You, you can't work harder to save people than they are themselves, trying to save themselves. You, you can't. It, it, it's not practical. It's not feasible. It's not possible. You can sell someone, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop screwing around, and you can sit down and make the case, give them the facts. But if they're just addicted to it and they just want to keep doing it, you can't care more about people's survival than they care about it themselves. And so today they had to evacuate uh, someplace in France and in hunting for three potential terrorists and so on, and pe people got stuck in their trains. It's like, well, Macron said terrorism is just a way of life. Just got to accept it. It's just a fact. It's like gravity. It can't be willed or changed in any way, shape, or form. And I guess our future shows on French terrorist attacks are just going to be a lot shorter. You voted for it. You're going to have to live with it. The Brexit vote was won in the United Kingdom, the referendum on leaving the European Union. And what's happened? Well, the progress has been very, 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 very slow in actually getting that done. European Union looking for a payment of 100 billion euros for the United Kingdom to leave the Union. Oh, and that's the floor. There's a little plus symbol next to that, you know, asterisk. Might be many multiples of this, depending on how many kidneys we can sell from your children on the black market. This think tank, Bruegel, is independently calculating that the initial payment by the UK could reach 109 billion euros, which is equivalent to $119 billion. But Britain, the United Kingdom, they're going to get some money back from the European Union, or at least that's the theory. So repayments oh, yeah, may I'm end sure up somewhere. Will. I know. It's the theory. I'm <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brussels, we're just about to leave. Here's 100 billion euros. We'll... We'll, we'll be getting some of that back later, right? Oh, yes. Don't worry. The check is in the mail. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, you can put that in the bank, baby. Well, see, Steph, if they give 109 billion euros, then they might get back between 25 billion and 65 billion euros sure. in repayment. Sure. Hey, you know what? We've got a donation plan at Free Domain Radio. You can just send us like $100 and we'll send you back between 25 and $65 depending on how we feel that day. It's great. You can't miss. So that's the state of Brexit. People voted for popular support. Slow going, slow going. Donald Trump elected. Electoral college landslide. It's been very difficult to get things done, especially when it comes to immigration. Marine Le Pen, this election, this was pretty much a referendum when it comes to immigration in France. And, you know, this information is out there. I, I understand if people aren't up on the heritability of IQ and that type of thing in the general population, because that is so well hidden from people. But when you have people driving trucks through crowds, when you have bodies on the streets, when you have sad pictures of children with little stuffed animals sitting next to them around the holidays. When the future of your entire continent depends on the goodwill of Turkey, Turkey, we're going to get to that a bit more later. Turkey! This is coming to a head, and we're going to have the European migrant crisis 2.0 in the very near future. The people that are saying five years from now she might get elected, okay, maybe. Maybe that's possible. And looking at the demographics, it seems a lot of older people were not supportive of Marine Le Pen. Okay, so if they're no longer around and she can get some of the younger people that seem very keen on voting for it, maybe she stands a chance. But five years is a long time. It's a really, really, really long time. And that's five years. Okay, she can get in in five years. Imagine then actually getting something accomplished 
accomplished. I mean, we're still waiting on Brexit and probably going to be waiting for much, much longer on Brexit. Who knows what will even happen? Mike, uh, sorry, just, uh, just a quick question. Go ahead. What do you think Free Domain Radio is going to be like in 50 years? Listen, I could still I be alive. I 100. I could still be alive. I mean, maybe not in my physical form. I could be in a brain in a tank orbiting Jupiter. But what do you mean? It's possible, right? It, it's possible. Let's, let's, write, let's write our business plan for FDR plus 50. There's lots of people that say maybe next time, and there is growing populist sentiment and nationalistic sentiment throughout Europe. And that is true, but it's crunch time. And we're going to talk about it a bit more later, but the situation with Turkey is heating up. There's 10 million or more migrants that are about to flow across into Europe from Africa. They don't have the time. We can sit and wait through to see what Macron is going to do, but they don't have the time. And that's all cut and dry. I don't know how anyone could not possibly be aware of that information. The terrorism that has occurred in France, the demographic changes, situations like what's going on in Turkey, that's everywhere. I mean, if you paid any attention to the debates, Marine Le Pen was talking about it nonstop. I mean, Europe, that's the thing. French unemployment is like 20%, right? So they've got some time to look things up, not overly burdened with having to get up and go to work. And even the people who are going to work, half of them work for the government where they put in, you know, three-hour days plus siesta time. They've got some time. They're not overworked. They've got some time to look things up, and um, it's, it's possible for them to do so. The information's out there. Certainly would have preferred France get Marine Le Pen in there and actually preserve their culture and their sovereignty. But since they've decided not to, and this information is so widely available about the possible consequences of not securing your borders, I have to just assume that this is the French people throwing themselves on the grenade or throwing themselves on a suicide bomber to serve as a warning to other Western countries as to what can happen if you don't secure your borders. So I'm just looking at this as an American, as someone who has to deal with the political climate in the United States, which has not been supportive of Donald Trump's immigration policies, at least from a judicial standpoint. France now, with the decisions that they've made, it's going to be beneficial to the United States in that if things go bad in France, and it certainly looks like they're going to over the course of the next five years, well, that's going to be a big smoking crater of what happens when you don't secure your borders. A perfect illustration and example for anyone that's skeptical, anybody that isn't open to the information charts, data points, all that stuff that's been provided in this continued discussion, I think a major Western country being completely turned upside down would probably do it when it comes to convincing people, if they are able to be convinced at all. So I look at this, I, I mean, I thank the French people. I'm sorry for, especially our listeners in France that have to live through this situation, but from the other side of the world, thank you for destroying your country. Thank you for serving as an example of what can and will happen when you don't secure your border, you don't give a good goddamn about national sovereignty. And it's going to only benefit places like the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and other places that will be paying attention to not only the migrant crisis, but the fallout. And other European countries as well who fail to secure their borders. You'll see what happens. So from this side of the ocean, okay, the French people have made a decision. The information is out there. I can understand not understanding some of the more complicated aspects of it. But this is not a complicated discussion. It really isn't. So if they don't want Marine Le Pen, they don't want national sovereignty, I, I hope they get all the globalism that they're asking for. I hope they get every single globalist policy, every single European Union regulation. I hope that the stuff that came out in the Macron leaks, um, some of the rumor and innuendo around possibly naturalizing some of migrants or some of the people in France and making them citizens, I hope that's true. 
I hope that happens because they voted in this guy, this Rothschild's banker fellow. They voted him in, and I hope they get everything that they voted for. I really do. And, well, this summer, as the migrant crisis heats up, and he's sitting in the big chair of power, having to make the very difficult decisions about the borders and what he's going to do as people flow into the country. But I'm going to be in America. We elected Donald Trump. And I certainly hope the people in the United Kingdom can get this Brexit thing pushed through as quickly as possible to secure their borders in some semblance of a chance to uh, prevent lots and lots of people from flowing into their country. I hope things with Turkey don't escalate too quickly. They're going to escalate. It's going to be a nightmare in the very near future. But I hope UK can secure their borders. But if you fail to secure your borders and you're not even willing to get off the couch to vote for the people that are going to implement the policies that are going to save your country, I can't care more about your country than you do. So good luck, France. I'm sorry to all our French listeners that have to live in this situation. But from the other side of the ocean, I can't look at this as a negative from my perspective. France will serve as a warning, not just now, but for everyone in the future as to what happens when you turn to globalism and reject nationalism and sovereignty. Well, apparently the new definition of fascism is enforcing your laws. Apparently so. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a, a racist. Yeah, I mean, refugee status internationally does not mean your country's at war. Just because your country's at war, I mean, doesn't mean that, even if it's a civil war, it doesn't mean that you get to be a refugee. I'm sorry, but that's just the way that it is. So apparently now just enforcing your laws and having borders is exactly the same as fascism. And because fascism is just one, fascism is just one of these useless pejorative words that nobody can objectively define in any comprehensible or applicable manner. I don't like it. It's fascism. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Child's guide to arguing on the internet. You're a fascist. Anyway, so it is uh, ridiculous. Uh, it is ridiculous. And what is it? You know, First World War, we have um, creeping socialism, the welfare state, cultural Marxism. And there's this, just this general hatred. General hatred. You know, Ayn Rand used to call it hatred of the good for being the good. Western, white, Christian capitalist culture is the best the world has ever seen. It's the best the world has ever seen. And there's this incredible frustration on the part of other cultures that they can't reproduce it. And we know why they can't reproduce it. It's cultural reasons, religious reasons, genetic reasons, IQ reasons, ethnicity reasons, and a general rejection of the cultivation of philosophy that is allowed for people to negotiate without a totalitarian state to force them to get along or at least pretend to. So there's this incredible frustration, I think, on the part of other cultures that they can't reproduce, even though nothing's patented, nothing's copyrighted. I mean, and, and I think everyone in the West would be thrilled if Africa was able to become the new Europe, or if the Middle East was able to become the new Europe, or if Europe was able to become the old Europe, I don't know. <laughs> but there, it, it's incredibly frustrating. And this massive, it's not even a piece of the puzzle, it's the entire puzzle that's missing, the sort of race and IQ and ethnicity and, and all of this kind of stuff, cousin marriage, all the stuff we've talked about on the show before, creates this incredible frustration and this rage, this impotent rage. You know, if I thought I sang as well as Freddie Mercury and wrote songs as well, but I believed that I was just kept from recording and being famous and successful because conspiracy of whatever, I mean, it would drive me crazy. It would make me enraged. So there is this rage and frustration that somehow the West is keeping all the goodies from the rest of the world. Somehow the West is keeping all the other countries from becoming free. Even in the countries where, and we've got this, the truth about colonialism, where there was some benevolent rule from the Western powers, particularly 
the uh, the British. So there's this incredible frustration with that frustration and the story that the cultural Marxists feed into that frustration, which is, you know, white racism and so on against all the other cultures and races. is the reason why whites are rich. They stole everything and other cultures have grind them down and so on. So you combine that frustration with a story that aims all of that rage and frustration directly at white, Western, Christian, European civilization. Well, that's, that's the whole point, right? That was the whole point of weaponizing other races and cultures against Europe and against European-derived civilizations. And I've seen some of the comments. I sang a little bit of uh, Requiem by Mozart. And the comments were quite telling. One guy said, you know, last two world wars, 100,000 Australians gave their lives to liberate France. Why? And never again. Well, like you were saying before, how much in the way of resources do you feel like investing in someone who doesn't want to save themselves? The drug addict that needs to go to rehab seven times. Maybe this time will be different. Well, well no, but you call it. It's the drug addict who calls you an asshole and keys your car <laughs> when you try to help him. No, seriously. It's not even yeah. like, oh, you know, I can't fight this monkey on my back, man. Thanks for helping, but I'm going back to the low life. I'm going back to living under a bridge. I'm going back to selling my blood for crack. You know, I mean... It's one thing to somebody who says, yeah, you know, thanks for helping. You're a good guy, but, you know, I can't fight this monkey. I'm going down. It's another thing when you get this self-righteous attitude like a person peeing on you from a great height because you dare to suggest that people might prefer the freedoms that their ancestors sacrificed themselves to attain for them. They might actually try to prefer them and actually get educated about the world that they're living in and the reality of um, inter-ethnicity Species predation, which happens. It happens. It's not everything that happens, but it does happen sometimes. I mean, how are you supposed to deal not just with people who refuse, you know, it's that old line from Fight Club, you know, I hate the pandas that refuse to screw to save their own species. It's, it's one thing to be apathetic. It's another thing to be venomously and viciously self-righteous about the cause that you're taking. I mean, you got to, well, link to that, that video. It's like, oh, Marine Le Pen, she is shit. She is fucking fascist. She is like, like, it's that venomness. Then it's like, here's the thing. I kind of wanted to save France, but man, when I see French people talking, that's quite a different thing. I don't want to save those people. If I was st- stuck next to those people at a dinner party, an Esco girl fork would go in one of her eyes. <laughs> Either you or me, I'd flip a coin. Ah. Hey, listen, they want to be the real life example of that sinking ship meme. Only exists to serve as a warning to others. Maybe that's the purpose of your life. Yeah, I'm happy for them because that's what they want. So now they're going to get to experience it. And they got to experience it right away. Macron emerged to give his victory speech. And he walked out to the European Union anthem instead of the French anthem. Oh, just just by the by, Mike. For those who weren't there and and no one but Mike and I were there. Do you remember when I first told you this? (laughs) I couldn't believe believe it. it. You're like, no, 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 that that can't be real. spreading that on Twitter. It's got to be fake news. That's just too much. But no, no, it's factually true. He came out to the European Union anthem. Uh, But don't worry, because he said, I'll defend France, I'll defend Europe, and we will strengthen the links between Europe and its people. Okay, yeah, so he said he'll defend France. Now, after he came out, gave his victory speech and all that, who was the first person that he made a phone call to? Angela Merkel? It's not hard to guess. Yeah. Mm. Praised him for championing a united Europe that is open to the world. Good boy, Macron. Good boy, Macron. Who's a good boy, Macron? Who's gritchy behind your ears? Who's a good boy? Roll over. Roll over. Sit at the foot of my couch. Good boy. 
Everybody's dog just came racing into the room, right? <laughs> Who's got this on speakers? <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. Hi, puppy. So later in the media, Merkel said, Macron carries the hopes of millions of French people and also many in Germany and across Europe. He led a courageous pro-European campaign and stands for openness to the world and decisively for the social market economy. We, Germany and France, are facing many shared challenges and are working to lead the European Union into a secure and successful future. We make an effort to coordinate our approach and take, when we can, take steps for the well-being of both of our countries and the well-being of Europe. I wish him well and all the people of France the greatest success. End quote from Merkel. So she's very happy. We got some boilerplate uh, fluffy puppies and bunnies uh, verbiage from her. But when Merkel's happy... If you're in Europe, you shouldn't be happy because bad things are about to happen. It's interesting because she seems to be very pro-Europe. And Macron, of course, seems to be very pro-Europe. You know, just a minor footnote. um, Africa is not Europe. The Middle East is not Europe. Well, Macron has defended Merkel quite a few times, uh, claiming her open invitation to migrants had saved Europe's, quote, collective dignity, end quote. Sure. Got to hang on to that collective dignity, because that's really the most important thing. It's not separation of church and state. It's not rights for women. It's not property rights, rights of contracts. Uh, it's not limited government. Uh, it's not... Future of uh, your own children. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not secular um, values uh, of any kind. Uh, it's not capitalism or anything like that. It's collective dignity. And that's just another one of these female feels phrases that just they they just like it's like somebody pouring poisoned honey into my ear you know like hamlet's father just like collective dignity oh 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 is that is that what we're doing all this for collective dignity hey did you see the collective did you see the collective dignity of that woman this reporter from italy who was trying to report on the migrant crisis and got attacked and screamed her bloody lungs out Oh, I, I, I'm not sure if she was partaking of the giant cheesecake called Collective Dignity. I think she was being pulled into an alley. Was there Collective Dignity when a Molotov cocktail was thrown at a police officer in front of Lauren Southern the other day? She caught it on video along with right. Luke Rudowski from We Are Change. Was that Collective Dignity? Did that have something to do with that? Combustive Dignity? No, that's not, <laughs> that's not what he's saying. Well, we have a fun fact. Now the leaders of France, United Kingdom, and Germany have zero biological children among them, which... I imagine to some degree has to shift your time preference. If you have kids, you're looking towards the future and what will possibly happen to them. Steph, you can tell me because I don't have kids, but did your perspective change at all when you had a daughter? Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's a big deal. You do think of the long term and hedonism just falls by the wayside. You know, there was a um, guy who criticized John Maynard Keynes, right? Foundation of Keynesianism. Which, you know, is this basic nonsense idea that, you know, when the economy is doing bad, governments should save. But when economies are doing poorly, governments should spend. And, you know, even things out a little. Right. So somebody is basically pointing out the political motivations for government spending to go up and up and up and kept saying, but in the long run, in the long run. And John Maynard Keynes famously replied, in the long run, we're all dead. And he was gay. He was gay. Now, this is back before gay adoption, gay marriage and so on. So basically what he's saying is, well, in the long run, we, I don't know, maybe it's his gay friends or whatever, but yeah, they're, they're all dead and they don't have kids. And this guy got into a lot of trouble by pointing out that people who don't have kids may have a different time preference and may not think more in the long run, but view more the hedonism and pleasure and conformity of the moment. Don't feel that same need to protect the future that those who have children may feel. It's not 100%, but it's probably not an irrelevant 
perspective and uh, the fact that uh, they don't have they have zero biological children among them this is the whole issue with uh, Europeans uh, you know they don't they don't have kids anymore they don't have kids anymore and this is a lot because women susceptible to social conformity have been pressured into thinking that kids are for losers you know kids are for like dumb housewives you know it's uh, it's just ridiculous uh, kids are a challenging and wonderful incredibly intellectually stimulating part of one's life and a deep and enriching part of one's existence and the idea that kids are for idiots is uh is sad it's sad but it just shows you how easy it is to program women to just stop having kids we, we talked about this before that meme floating around you know your your grandmother 12 no your great-grandmother 12 children your grandmother six children your mother two children you an abortion and a dog and that's the way it goes. There's this fantasy that there's this great life out there. Just don't have kids and all this wonderful stuff will happen. And I remember this from the movie When Harry Met Sally, where they're saying, you know, well, we, we don't want to have kids because, you know, we want to live downtown in a little condo. We don't want to have kids because we're going to go to the opera. We're going to go see shows. We're going to do all this cool stuff. When we don't have kids, we don't go to the opera. We don't really do cool stuff. And we're just kind of getting older. It's kind of sad. Well, Steph, you said the Europeans aren't having children, but the new Europeans are having children. I think I saw that Time magazine cover. The new Europeans, uh, not, not like the old Europeans. Well, Hillary Clinton chimed in. She said, quote, victory for Macron, for France, the EU, and the world. Defeat, it, defeat to those interfering with democracy. But the media says I can't talk about that. <laughs> well, this this whole um, interfering with democracy thing when it comes to France, it's kind of precious. WikiLeaks released documents in February showing that under Obama, the CIA sent out orders to hack Marine Le Pen and other presidential candidates. And then Obama did a phone call with Macron and said, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. And then he actually formally endorsed Macron before the election. So it, does that count as interfering in election? foreign interference in election, it, it'd be hard to argue that it doesn't, but that doesn't count because it's Obama and it's people on the left and it's globalists. So. Well, if you ever want to know what leftists are up to, just look at what they accuse you of. That's a very, very old, like, leftists always project, social justice warriors always project. And so when they talk about Russian interference, foreign interference in elections, guaranteed, that's exactly what they're doing under the table. Nigel Farage also chimed in and said, what that says is Marine Le Pen with the Front National Brand was not able to bring together people from the left or right of politics under her banner. And I think what will happen here is, and I hope, because I spoke to her campaign team last night, I've been talking to her for the past five years, the Front National needs to get rid of the baggage of the past, the shadow of her father. When she does that, she will be in a stronger position. And secondly, fascinatingly, 80% of the over 65s voted for Macron. So generationally, it's the older people that are sticking to the old European model and the younger people that are rejecting it. I would say this to you. She got 35% this time in 2022. I believe she will win. That's a long ways away. And how much damage can be done in those five years? Well, going on to voting patterns and some stats, 59% of French citizens said they did not feel safe anywhere. We've talked about this before, but on the heels of the election, I thought it's worth bringing up again. So 59% of French citizens didn't feel safe anywhere in the country with 24% saying that they strongly agree with that statement. So 24% of people just don't feel safe, period. 55% would like to see France exit the European Union and the open border Schengen zone. Apparently not. 
Apparently not. When it came time to actually going to the ballot box, apparently they didn't want to see that. Or they didn't want to see that compared to possibly being called racist for supporting Marine Le Pen. Macron is the only leader in the Western world and in the history of the Fifth French Republic to be younger than his average constituent, whose average age is 41. Oh, can I That's just mention something? Fact to it. Please do. I can't actually... Younger than his average constituent is, is fairly remarkable. Younger than his stepchildren yeah, is even more too. remarkable. Just wanted to point that out, that he's kind of in the mix of his cryptkeeper lover slash wife slash groomer of him when he was 15. And her kids are yeah, roughly around his age, some older, some younger. So yeah, y- y- younger than your own children. It's like some weird Ray Bradbury story or something, but no, it's now the future of France. It's weird to think that Merkel is actually younger than his wife. I had double-checked that, but yep, Merkel is younger than his wife by a couple of years. I guess evil does make you age rather rapidly. <laughs> uh, a recent survey estimated that less than half of French men and women actually support Macron's program and plans and policies, and only around 20% were very enthusiastic activists for the new president. So he's got about 20% of the population, and then there's a bunch of people that didn't like Le Pen and some people that held their nose. So he's not exactly coming into office with a mandate. Well, and and you even examine the activists or the enthusiastic people for any knowledge of his actual programs and what they mean. That's what Churchill said. The best cure for any illusions about democracy is five minutes conversation with your average voter. Well, 25% of the French voters didn't participate, and that's the highest since the presidential election back in 1969. It's also the first time since 1969 that participation in the second round is actually lower than the first round. So that speaks to what are framed as the anti-establishment candidates in Le Pen and Macron. The idea that Macron is an anti-establishment candidate is amusing to me still, but that speaks to people wanting uh, different choices and not liking what they got. And listen, I can understand that. I mean, I can understand, like, with Marine Le Pen, you, you want some border controls and so on. But at the same time, she's very lefty in terms of economic policies. And I don't think that was the problem, guy, So there is a lot. And none of the traditional parties or candidates made it through to the final election. So there is a certain amount of nose holding and so on. But again, people who don't understand the immigration, the demographics and the race and IQ stuff, well, they're, they're, they're going to have to learn the hard way. I wonder if Marine Le Pen was more free market from an economic standpoint, if she would have actually done worse. You could argue that that could possibly be the case. I'm not going to try and tell someone who's from a French political family how to work the French political voters like that. I, I'm, I'm, that's not my gig. That's not my wheelhouse. I can sort of talk about principles and uh, empirical evidence, but how you do it? Because here's the thing, too. I mean, immigration is like third world immigration is one of these distracting lies about the current state of Western government finances, right? You had a whole bunch of people sign up for a whole bunch of social programs who did not want to pay the taxes to support those social programs. And so now they're vastly under, underfunded, right? unfunded liabilities for America running north of 10 times the GDP, $150 trillion or more. So it can't possibly be paid. And so when you say to people who wanted a bunch of social programs, didn't want to pay taxes for them, and didn't have enough children to support the next wave of taxpayers that are going to have to pay for the elderly. If you don't have a whole bunch of immigration, you're actually going to have to go to your population and say, hey, we, we don't have enough money, you know, sorry. But you've got this, no, 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 don't worry, we're going to get all these immigrants to come in. You get to kick the can down the road, and it's just, it's the fruits of sin, right? It's the fruits of 
the welfare state. It's the fruits of allowing the government to grow. It's the fruits of allowing women to fall in love with the security of the state rather than the virtue of men. Uh, it is all of this. It's a result of all of this violation of, of property rights and rights, freedom of association and human rights, basic human rights uh, of uh, trade and so on. All this violation has created this smokescreen of like, oh, no, no, immigrants will pay for everything. Don't worry about it. And um, it's it's quite the opposite. I mean, immigrants are going to take the system down even faster. Not not all over the world. There's some places where the immigrants are screened more decisively. And up until recently, that, that included Canada. But it's still going to – it's going to take down the European welfare state. I mean, imagine millions, millions more people come in – don't speak the language. You don't have to imagine it's yeah. happening. Ten million this year. This could, I mean, Europe. this could be what just takes down the welfare state. Now, imagine, imagine that you have ten million people who don't speak your language from Africa, and you run out of money. Hmm. You run out of money to give them, and the population is disarmed. No, no. Sorry. To to be fair, Mike, not all the population is disarmed. <laughs> Just the law-abiding <laughs> citizens are disarmed. That's true. And don't forget, too, all the people flowing in from Turkey. There's millions in Turkey that are – it's being threatened that they're going to be released into Europe as well. So you got 10 million coming from Africa. How many million coming from Turkey potentially? Yeah, who wants to vote for the, the person that cares about sovereignty and borders? Listen, Poland, take the sanctions. Take the sanctions. We'll get to that. The Interior Ministry reported that the number of blank and invalid ballots accounted for 9% of all registered voters compared to only 2% in the first round. So that means one out of three didn't choose between Macron and Le Pen. So if you look at the 25% that didn't participate and then the spoiled ballots, the people that either just put a blank ballot in or ripped it or put on a goof thing, it's uh, (laughs) one out of three didn't actually participate in this latest election round as far as choosing between the two candidates. Well, and I can guarantee you that demographically that was not evenly distributed, right? I mean, you had imams praising, praising Macron getting in. And it was the same thing that happened in the British elections, where you had um, imams saying that the Muslims were going to go to hell, Muslims were going to go to hell if they didn't vote Labour, right? So the motivation to keep the borders open for people who want to get their family and friends to come in and so on, their motivation is very high, and I bet you they went out. So of that third, it's not like, well, a third of all ethnicities and, and religions within France did the same thing. I bet you that was more nativist. I mean, there's no way to tell because you can't keep any of these kinds of statistics in France, as far as I understand it. But uh, I would guess that uh, of the third, it would have been more of the ethnic French, right, the nativist French than others. And if anyone has any good statistics on voter breakdowns, whether it's opinion surveys, phone surveys, whatever, regarding voting in this election and race, ethnicity, background, religion, anything like that, send it my way. Please call us from jail. (laughs) There's some stuff floating out there. I haven't got a chance to really go through it with a fine-tooth comb yet, but I would love to do a breakdown of not only Brexit, but Donald Trump's election and this vote to just see, okay, in the various countries – are there blocks of people that are voting in similar directions pro-globalism? Is that the case? Can we actually verify that with numbers? We have lots of information regarding demographics and voting patterns and the truth about America's demographics, I believe is the name of it. We put that out right before the United States election last year. I'd just like to look more into that, especially when it comes to other countries. See if the pattern of people from the third world voting for the left, which it's hard to say voting for the left in, in Europe because that's pretty much everyone for the most part, but voting for more free stuff. Remember, a socialist a socialist who wants to enforce 
The Laws is is an extreme rightist. Far right. <laughs> Basically, totally, practically Hitler. But one thing we do know is that in England, with Brexit, the old people saved the young. And in France, with Macron, the old people shafted the young. It was a bit of a flip there. Yeah, this is an IPOS exit poll. First, let's look at male voters. They voted for wait, Macron. Wait. IPOS. I piece of... No, no, that's probably not the right acronym, but go on. Male voters voted 62% for Macron to 38% for Le Pen. So 73% of men overall voted and only 27% abstained. Now for female voters, they voted 68% for Macron and 32% for Le Pen. So 76% of women overall voted and 24% abstained. So less abstained in the female category. Fewer women in a feminist country voted for the woman. And I just, I want to mention this because I don't forget. I don't forget, I want to forget this part. I've scoured the internet for feminists who have complained that it was the white male who got in rather than the woman. And I haven't found one. I haven't found one. And that just goes to show you that it's not about men and women. Uh, Feminism is just socialism in comfortable shoes. Pear-shaped, comfortable shoes. So it's got nothing to do with promotion of, of women and so on. It's it's basically just, well, she wasn't on the globalist platform and therefore the feminists were against her. And there were feminists actually cheering that Macron got in rather than Le Pen, which again just shows you it's got nothing to do with women. It's all just about promotion of globalism, leftism, and collectivism. So let's break down some of the age range stuff. So age 18 to 24, they voted for Macron 66% and Le Pen 34%. So big, big for Macron amongst the younger people. 34% of 18 to 24 abstained. So lots of people 18 to 24 just stayed home, didn't didn't bother to have anything to do with it. Now, let's just skip to age 70 plus and look, and they voted 78% for Macron. So 18 to 24, 66%. Age 70 plus, 78% for Macron. Now for Le Pen, for the 18 to 24, it was 34%. Age 70 plus, 22%. So the old people did not like Marine Le Pen at all. What? What did you say? She's a racist? Turn up the television. Ah, uh, you know, but there was a pretty good campaign in France. I mean, the French media, of course, was relentlessly for Macron and relentlessly against Le Pen. But there was this feeling, oh, well, if we get out of the euro, if we don't have the euro, I'm going to lose my savings. I'm going to lose my pensions and... Right, yeah, because globalism never, ever harms anybody's pensions. Yeah, just go ask the Greeks about that. So I well, think that was I'm that I'm glad that they stuck things. with that feeling. I'm glad they stuck with that feeling because feelings are all they're going to have left to eat when the euro does collapse, and that may happen in the very near future under the weight of the migrant crisis. Now, age 70 plus, 18% abstained. So the youngest demo, 34%, said, I want nothing to do with this. 70 plus, 18% abstained. So that tells you... That the people that that were older and didn't like Marine Le Pen, they get out to the polls in larger numbers. It does. Just got to tell you, Mike, it's still pretty strange to me. The guy who first became famous for a pretty passionate video called The Truth About Voting to be annoyed at people not going out to vote. I'm just telling you, life is a journey. And uh, more information means more information. I just wanted to point that out. Due respect to younger staff, but... uh, A lot of facts weren't there and a lot of decisions hadn't been made that have been made since. 
Well, I don't know that there's going to be much of a political solution moving forward for France and many of the places in Europe. If you have a chance to vote in a referendum that's an up-down on whether your country continues to exist as it has existed, or if it's going to be changed incredibly radically, yeah, I'm fine hopping in that ring. But when it comes to random persons saying that incrementally I'm going to make things somewhat better, well, we see Donald Trump, who was literally the perfect candidate in many ways that I break down in the Why I'm Voting for Donald Trump video, and he's having a hell of a time moving this system around. We'll see what we have to say about political action moving forward and if there's any other good opportunities to possibly exercise and vote and go out there and affect some change. But I remain skeptical. There's another survey out there. This is a, an opinion survey, opinion way survey. They have some different numbers on the male, female and age related breakdown. So let's just present those. They say male voters voted 67% for Macron and 33% for Le Pen and 12% of male voters cashed uh, blank or null votes. Female voters, 63% for Macron and 37% for Le Pen and 11% blank or null votes. So this is saying that uh, the female voters voted for Le Pen in greater numbers than the male voters, which um, is different in the previous survey we have. So w what's the truth? What's the answer? I don't know. Maybe a more comprehensive survey will come out in the near future, but it's kind of murky right now. We just know lots more people voted for Macron than did Le Pen. Now, for the age breakdown in this survey, the 18 to 24-year-olds, they voted Macron 56%, Le Pen 44%, 9% blank ballot or null ballot. And age 65 plus is the highest age in this survey. They say they went to Macron 80% and Le Pen 20%, with 15% doing a blank or null vote. So more people 65 plus doing the blank or null vote, but they are overwhelmingly for Macron instead of Le Well, Le that is his dating demographic, right? So... Maybe they feel like uh, if something happens to his wife, they've got a, got a pretty good shot. Just slide right in yeah, there. Yeah, got a pretty good shot at the young uh, French Otron. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Now, the interesting thing about this opinion way survey is they found that support for Le Pen among the youngest voters was even more pronounced than the other survey. So we have conflicting data on the male-female vote, but both of these say the same thing regarding Le Pen's support amongst the young. And this opinion way survey says it's uh, much higher. I mean, 56% to 44%. That's, uh, that's a whole lot closer than the general was. So, I also wanted to point out this massive disconnect, Mike, between the European leadership, who are all like, EU is great. Europe is doing wonderfully. EU is fantastic. Let's keep together the EU because EU-ness. About half, sometimes in some places, a little more than half of young people in Europe would join a revolution to overthrow their governments, would join a revolution to overthrow their status quo. I don't run a government, but... If, if I'd find I did, that concerning. Yeah, if, if I did, I would not consider that a ringing endorsement of what I'm doing. Hey, the survey says at our restaurant that half of our customers would really like to burn the goddamn place down. Huh, I wonder if we should change something. No, let's just keep going on the way we've been going on because it's really working for these young people. So what we have is 10 million migrants coming into Europe this summer. Got lots possibly coming from Turkey. And you have a culture that is on the verge of revolution. Just waiting for it. Yeah, this seems sustainable. We, uh, we are now taking donations at freedomainradio.com slash donate for an off-world anarchist paradise. Let's run through some interesting quotes from Macron that we haven't talked about before in great detail. So Macron claimed that France was a valley of tears before the European Union came around. What does that mean? I don't know, but it, it sounds sad. So European Union came, we happy now. So yay for that. Macron on French culture said, quote, French culture does not exist. 
there is a culture in France and it is diverse, end quote. French culture does not exist, but there is a culture in France, which would then be French culture. But now it's diverse. Well, and I'd really, I really want to give 500 euro coupons to immigrants so that they can enjoy French culture, which doesn't exist. Yeah, come to my giant invisible circus. You'll love it. It's got cool things. that French culture was just a valley of tears before the European Union. So the same day as he gave that quote, he repeated it. He said, French art? I never met it. Later, in an interview with a magazine that's more critical of Islam, he said, quote, France never was and never will be multiculturalist country, end quote. So, so he's just, he's all over the place. He's not all over the place. No, he's not all over the place. It's just standard sociopathic disco ball reflect back at you what you want to hear. In the same way that Merkel's like, yeah, multiculturalism's been a complete failure. Hey, you know what we need? Huge amount more multiculturalism. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I've known people like this in my life, Mike, and God help you if you have to, but it, they'll just say anything to get what they want, to win, to get five more seconds of positive feedback in the moment. But there's no principles. There's nothing that actually going to stand for in the long run. Can you go a day with sticking to your point without immediately backtracking? That, that would be nice. Macron also, this was a big controversy in France. He said France's colonialist history in Algeria was a crime against humanity. And given the, the way in which major world powers tap dance around the things that they've done in the past, or even things that they have nothing to do with, but may have political implications, such as if the United States were to say that, yes, yes, there was an Armenian genocide, what what kind of impact would that have politically with Turkey and they're in NATO and a bunch of... So people tap dance around this stuff and he's just like, yep, crime against humanity. I don't know what type of category that falls into on any type of UN or international board, but it's probably not great for the French people. So they were upset about that fairly quickly. Boy, you know, it was so terrible, Mike. France's colonialist history in Algeria, it was so terrible that no Algerians would be caught dead within 100 miles of France. It was so traumatic and so terrible that Algerians just wanted to have nothing to do with, oh, wait, no, actually, they came over by the millions to live in France. Huh. There's the evil. Hey, what? I can get a condo on the Death Star? I'm not throwing anything down this hole then. I'm totally in. I'm going to be Darth Vader's spitshine boy. Ugh, it's so ridiculous. If it was so bad, why are all these Algerians in France? White people are terrible. I must go live around the white people. Okay. <laughs> white people Never are terrible, but they have stuff and guilt. <laughs> and you put those two together, <laughs> and it's stuff for me. He also said this has been getting a lot of play. Times have changed, and we should learn to live with terrorism. Yeah, times, times have just changed, you know? You know, like, it's like the seasons. There's no free will. There's no choices, no specific political decisions that be made or anything like that. Times have, have changed, you know, just uh, come see, come say, you, you go with the flow. Chill, bro. Ugh. Much like the Canadian media industry. They made no choices, just stuff happens. So, yeah, eh, you know, whatever. you age, times change, you go bold and stuff blows up. What can I tell you? But enough about his wife. Um, <clears throat> on terrorism, he said, quote, this threat, this imponderable problem, is part of our daily lives for the years to come. Yeah. I'd like to express all my support for our police forces and more generally the forces of law and order, end quote. So this imponderable problem, you're going to be the president. It, it may be time to ponder it. You may want to figure out what you're going to do with terrorism and the idea of just, eh, let's ignore it. Let's open our borders and let's just hope things work out. That's not a policy. That's not a plan. That sounds like a suicide death wish. No, I, I would really like to, uh, as, as he would say, I would really like to show my appreciation for law and order by not enforcing the laws regarding the border. That's, that's how I show my respect. He supports the forces of law and order by 
being big fan of the giant bureaucracy that supersedes France's law and order. Okay, whatever. On April 20th, this was after a terrorist killed one police officer and wounded several others in Paris. He said, I am not going to invent an anti-terrorist program in one night. Oh, Mike. So basically, he's been planning to run for what, six to eight months? Or he's been running for six to eight months at this point, right? He's been groomed since 15. I don't know. Uh, okay, but, but so let's just six months. Let's just give him the bit. Six months. It's more than that, but let's just say six months. So, Mike, let's say that you commission an opera from me, and you pay me $500,000 to write a fantastic, highly complex, Wagnerian ring-style, numb-ass-seat, endless five-hour opera, right? And you keep checking, oh, it's coming along, it's coming along, and then it's supposed to open, or start, it's supposed to start rehearsals tomorrow, right? And you come to my house, it's like, okay, I need the opera. And I look at you and I say, Mike... What do you mean we're going to open tomorrow? I, I can't possibly write an opera in one night. God. How do people get away with this stuff? Like, how do people... You've been running for six months. You've obviously been thinking about it for years. You have access to incredible advisors. Why on earth would you have not have thought about this, given it's one of the most pressing problems facing France? Why haven't you thought about it? Like, well, you can't expect me to do it in one night. It's like, well, nobody's expecting you to do it in one night. You've had years. This statement that he said is jaw-dropping to me, but I'm sure this was broadcast and people in France heard it. And so what they're saying is we don't want someone that has an anti-terrorism program to be the president of France. Okay. Or who's even you don't thought want that someone? it might be important to come up with one. Yes, well, yeah. I could not do it in one night either. So. <laughs> now, just a reminder, European Union terrorist-related arrests in 2015, which is the most recent data that we have available, France led the list with 424 Spain was second at 187, United Kingdom coming in third at 134, Belgium fourth at 61, and Austria fifth with 49. So they are leading the wait, European wait, Union. Sorry, Mike, where's Poland? I don't see, don't see Poland. Is it a little further down? Any other Eastern European countries? Not in the top five, to put it mildly. But France doubling Spain in second place. All these terrorist-related arrests in France? Not interested in a president that has any type of anti-terrorism policy. Got it. It's this weird cycle in European history. Germany threatens Europe. England resists. France folds. Hey, deja vu. There's a reason it's a French word. I've seen this movie before. All right, let's go back to February of this year. Another interesting Macron quote. He said, quote, If the British government decides to organize a Brexit, I will be pretty tough on it because we have to preserve the rest of the European Union and not to convey the message that you can decide to leave without any consequences. Ooh. End quote. Now, imagine, yeah. imagine you're his wife and imagine you ah! don't have like one claw in the grave, right? No, imagine your wife is like, well, you could leave, but I'm going to be pretty tough about you leaving me, honey, because I don't want, I don't want, I don't want you to get the message that you could just decide to leave without any consequences. It's like, ooh, you creep. Can't you just get a divorce? No, there will be consequences. It's like, this is mafia talk, right? Oh, nice little island you got there. be a shame if something happened to it. He later added, quote, I'm attached to a strict approach to Brexit. I respect the British vote, but the worst thing would be a sort of weak EU vis-a-vis -vis the British. I don't want a tailor-made approach where the British have the best of two worlds. That will be too big an incentive for others to leave and kill the European idea, which is based on shared responsibilities, end quote. <sighs> okay, Macron, let me just step you through a couple of things here. So you say the worst thing would be a sort of weak EU vis-a-vis -vis the British. That's the worst thing. 
I'd like to just nominate a couple of other worst things that you might want to consider. Guys in trucks driving down and 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 driving over children and and other helpless individuals. That that I think would have a certain amount of negativity involved in it. You just got to get used to that, though. Stuff. Just no, but okay. How about this daily one? Life. How about guys going to see a metal band and guys, other guys come in to the Bataclan, corner them, cut off their balls and stuff their balls in their mouth. That to me would be just about the worst thing. The idea that the worst thing would be a sort of weak EU vis-a-vis the British, I don't know that you have the same priorities that a sane person might have. This is news that is just breaking as we speak, and on the heels of the French election is pretty interesting. So the European Union has called on its member states to lift border controls that were introduced back in September of 2015 within six months. Now, if you've been paying attention to this conversation— I told you that there are 10 million plus migrants coming from Africa to Europe. And the European Union wants border sanctions and controls lifted. How's that going to work out? Well, on May 2nd, the EU commissioner in charge of migration specifically called on Austria, Denmark, Germany, Norway, and Sweden to phase out the temporary controls that they put in place at their internal Schengen borders. So we're not going to secure the outer border. We don't need to secure the inner border, and we got lots of migrants, economic migrants, headed our way. Sounds like a plan. Well, I do have this habit of locking my door because, you know, crime has vastly increased in the neighborhood. Well, you should stop locking your door, said the police. Why, is crime down? No, it's much higher, and it's going to get a lot higher still. What? <laughs> it's so mad. In other news, people are surprised that any countries in Europe have any kind of border controls, but, you know, there are there. Well, the EU commissioner in charge of migration, which that's got to be the worst job ever, (laughs) he continued and said, not in the European spirit of solidarity and cooperation. The time has come to take the last concrete steps to gradually return to a normal functioning of the Schengen area. This is our goal, and it remains unchanged. A fully functioning Schengen area free from internal border controls. Schengen is one of the greatest achievements of the European project. We must do everything to protect it. End quote. Yeah. You could say things like Socratic philosophy, Roman law, the agricultural revolution, cities, separation of church and state, um, uh, Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution. I don't know that the Schengen area is one of the greatest achievements of the European project. I think that's what we call asshole hyperbole. Well, I just love we must do everything to protect it. What's it? The Schengen situation. It's one of the greatest achievements of the European project. Can we do everything to possibly protect the European project itself? No, just the Schengen zone situation. Okay, all right. I'm someone in the United States. I go up to Canada occasionally. It doesn't take much time or effort for me to go through the border controls from the U.S. to Canada. Now, I know that's a little different in Europe. I've gone through those as well. Going from the United Kingdom to Paris was a bit interesting, but... um. It's really not that big of an inconvenience all in all compared to the alternative, which is the complete and total destruction and destabilization of your entire country and the continent as it stands. Well, so basically the EU is sending out a broadcast, something like this. Hey, member states, stop being states. Hey, member countries, how would you like to not be a country anymore? Have we got a plan Um, for you? According to the International Office for Migration, there are 30,465 migrants who have reached Europe already during the first quarter of this year. 
Now, 24,292 of those, which works out to 80%, they arrived in Italy. Needless to say, Italy is experiencing some challenges right now. 4,400 arrived in Greece, 1,500 arrived in Spain, and 256 arrived in Bulgaria. During just one week in April, for an example, 9,661 migrants reached Italy. One week. One week. That's like a small hockey rink stadium for a pro team. 10,000 people. Just showing up. Just showing up, you know, like like it's a, it's a backyard cookover or something. Well, and just to point out, during the year 2016, only 2.65% of those coming into Italy were asylum refugees. They were, they, only 2.65 of them got asylum as refugees. So they're economic migrants. And I, I want everyone to understand, there's no possible way to solve the problems of overpopulation and political instability in, in Africa or the Middle East by taking migrants. It, it's, it's completely and totally impossible. It, it can't be done. There's too many people and the infrastructure within Europe can't possibly sustain it all. What's going to happen is you're going to get destabilization in Europe and continued destabilization in Africa. Like it's not even remotely going to work. And I just, people just need to be aware of that. Oh, but Steph, what are you talking about? I think this is working perfectly for the globalists. I mean, there are high birth rates in African countries and then those people grow up and then they can move to Europe. That's great, right? Everything will be fine. People need to see this uh, presentation called Immigration, World Poverty, and Gumballs, numbersusa.com. It's on YouTube. Just do Gumballs Immigration. It's six minutes long. Just watch it, and it will very, very clearly show that there's absolutely no chance for any kind of migration to solve any kind of third world issues. All it's going to do, like the third world right now is currently functioning largely on Western aid. It's a, a massive amounts of Western aid, food aid, cash aid, you name it. And as a result of flooding Africa, well, the Middle East with oil money and Africa with foreign aid, the population has exploded there. You know, when you give rich people money, they have fewer children. When you give poor people money or less intelligent people money, you generally have more, more children. It's just the way it works. And so what's happening right now is there's, quote, overpopulation in Africa, to some degree as a result of Western technology, Western medicine, Western aid, and so on, right? And if enough people from Africa move into Europe, I shouldn't say move, invade? I don't know what to call it. I mean, it's it's illegal immigration. It's not immigration. Like Illegal immigration is like saying illegal, uh, legal theft. I mean, it's, it's a contradiction in terms. If it's illegal, These are it's not, not even asylum seekers. These are not asylum yeah. seekers or refugees. These are people that are economic migrants and want some stuff. Right. And what's going to happen is if enough people from Africa or the Middle East flood into Europe or North America, for that matter, the European economies are going to crack and break. And then there's not going to be any foreign aid available to be sent to Africa. And what that means is that there will be civil wars and rioting and revolutions and all kinds of slaughter fests going on in Africa. What's that going to do, Mike? Hey, I wonder if it's going to drive any more people to come into Europe. It's absolutely not going to work. And this is what's frustrating about the vote. I don't know if people, like, I watched this video, Streets of Europe, Streets of, uh, I think it was in Paris. The reporter was saying to, to people, uh, do you support more 
Migration, do you support taking more people from the Middle East and from Africa? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's wonderful. And then the guy said, oh, good, because I have a guy right here. So where do you live? We're going to bring him right over. I have a guy from the Middle East, from Africa. He's right here. So I'm going to bring him right. Oh, not today. Oh, no, I can't. Oh, come on. It's ridiculous. Of the migrants who have reached Italy during the first three months of this year, they are in descending order from... Guinea, Nigeria, Bangladesh, Ivory Coast, Gambia, Singal, Morocco, Mali, Somalia, Interia. So I'm not seeing Syria there. I'm not seeing Afghanistan there. I'm not seeing legitimate war zones there. These are people that are coming from countries that, I mean, they may not be the greatest from an economic standpoint. They may not be the best from a political standpoint, but it's not all an out active war zone nonstop which is the whole moral justification for this refugee flood from a European standpoint. I, I, I actually do really care about millions of lives in Africa. And uh, again, if the European economies get overrun and crack and collapse, there's not going to be any money for foreign aid and people are going to die in Africa. So good job virtue signaling, everyone. How about we actually try to help people in the long run? How about we actually try and create any kind of system where... Uh, aid can be sustained in a reasonable and rational manner, at least in the short run till we figure out something better. But everybody is saying, oh, yes, come over here. They simply, maybe they just don't care. Maybe there is this, you know, they just don't care about millions of lives in the balance uh, in, in Africa. I do. And maybe that uh, makes me crazy, but uh, it is a very real phenomenon. How about we start pulling back a little bit on the foreign aid slowly which the foreign aid destroys the local economy in many of these countries, people that would manufacture things and create businesses that would be sustainable, get flooded out of the market because cheap goods are dumped in their countries or just completely destroys the economic incentives. So how about we slowly ease back on that so some type of local market can actually develop and these places can be somewhat sustainable when the inevitable economic collapse in the West happens or – you know, it's not going to be good when that money spigot gets turned off and those people are dependent on it for their very sustenance. So now up to a million people. Remember I said we got 10 million coming from uh, from Africa. Well, currently there's up to a million, mainly from Bangladesh, Egypt, Mali, Niger, Nigeria, Sudan and Syria. There's some from Syria. They're now in Libya waiting to cross the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, it's in the summer. You don't have to worry about it. There's a million people crossing the Mediterranean Sea right now. I know that Macron was caught off guard and needed more than a day to come up with his anti-terrorism plan. Hopefully, he realizes that this is something that, you know, he needs to at least think about. He's got more than a day, but not much more. Not much more at all. We'll see how it plays out. March 17th, Turkey's interior minister, ah, Turkey, said, quote, I'm telling you, Europe, do you have that courage? If you want, we'll send 15,000 refugees to you that we don't send each month and blow your mind. You have to keep in mind that you can't design a game in this region apart from Turkey. End quote. That's referring to the deal the European Union made with Turkey about, oh, yes, we'll let you into the European Union. Oh, yes, we'll invite you into the Schengen area and you can have free movement for all of your citizens all throughout Europe, which many countries in the European Union do not want. And there are many conditions that were laid down by the European Union that Turkey would need to meet in order to possibly get there. Now, with what happened with the <laughs> Turkish Number one referendum... Was, don't be Turkey. <laughs> so it's a challenge for Turkey to meet the exact opposite of Turkey. 
don't have a referendum that turns your uh, leader into a dictator. Oops, oops, we kind of fumbled that one. So Don't be jailing all these reporters. That was Obama's job, but it's getting old for you guys. Don't be purging any semblance of Western influence from your culture. Now, they ramped up that rhetoric. April 22nd, hey, that just happened. Turkey's minister for EU affairs warned the European Union that if it does not grant Turkish citizens visa-free travel by the end of May, Turkey would suspend the migrant deal and flood Europe with migrants. So end of May, again, more than a couple days, that's, that's coming up, folks. So this is coming to a head. We are on the verge of European migrant crisis 2.0, and this blockbuster is bigger than the first one. There are currently as well 11 million Turks living in poverty within Turkey, and many of them are dreaming of moving to Central Europe. So European Union, there is no solution here. You got all these people in Turkey. You've paid off Turkey. You keep kicking the can down the road, promising them things that you can't possibly deliver on if you're sane, certainly not things that your member states will support. And now you're between a rock and a hard place because they're like, we want this. And if not, we're sending them your way. They're probably going to get paid off with massive amounts of money again, and that'll kick it down the road a couple months. And we're still going to be in this situation <sighs> after that happens. So we'll see, but it's heating up. Oh, there's a the solution. Ju- oh, there's a solution. It's just that I don't know if anyone's going to do it. Anyway, we've talked about that before, so let's move on. The German development minister, Gerd Bueller. He said, quote, the biggest migration movements are still ahead. Africa's population will double in the next decades. A country like Egypt will grow to 100 million people. Nigeria to 400 million. Don't click those phishing links in your email, folks. In our digital age with the Internet and mobile phones, everyone knows about our prosperity and lifestyle. So, again, economic migrants. This is the German development minister. He's well aware of it. They're coming for the prosperity and lifestyle. Are they fleeing because it's a war zone? No, they want iPhones. (sighs) Only 10% of those currently on the move have reached Europe. And again, 8 to 10 million migrants are still on the way. And typically with these estimates, they go low. So we'll see what it winds up being. So So great that white people invented the internet and mobile phones, isn't it? So that everyone can know. And the thing is, too, they're not economic migrants. And I know we use that phrase. They're welfare migrants. Mm -hmm. Very, very few of them are ever going to be able to participate in Western economies for reasons of culture, ethnicity, race, religion, IQ, you name it, right? Let's be honest. I mean, it's not going to happen. If they could achieve prosperity, well, the West has kind of been the icebreaker of what you need to do to your country to become prosperous. Some countries have been able to mimic certain aspects of it, right? India's doing pretty well. China's uh, doing pretty well as far as that goes. Uh, G- Germany after Nazism and, and Japan after the emperor, or after the emperor was complete dictator, they've managed it. And a lot of it has to do with IQ and so on, but uh, it's, um, they can't achieve prosperity for a variety of reasons that aren't going to change when they get to Europe. And this is another important thing to to point out. You know, there's this old Farside cartoon. You've got two cavemen standing in front of a cave, and there's this wall of ice like seven inches from their cave. And one turns to the other and says, Say, thank that wall of ice closer today? <laughs> Macron had something to say about migration as well, but this time it pertained to climate change. Hmm. He said, we have entered a world of great migrations, and we will have more and more of it. 
France will not be able to stem it, and Europe will be affected immediately. In the coming decades, we will have migrations from geopolitical conflicts that will continue to play, and we, are, and we will have climate migrations because the planet is in a deep imbalance. We will see a migratory phenomenon far greater than what we have seen with the migrants from Syria. See all that passive programming language? We have entered it's a world of happening. great... It's just happening. It's just, we've entered a world of great migrations. Can't stem it. We're going to see this migratory phenomenon. You know, I often find that if I leave lots of my valuables on the front lawn, I enter into a, into a world where my stuff migrates. <laughs> just, it just <laughs> happens. Uh, it's it, The way that they're programming you to think that nothing can be done. Well... For 20 years, or 30 years, I guess, they've been saying, well, no, we, we can do vast and powerful things to affect the temperature of the world in 100 years by one degree. But as far as having borders and countries and a continuance of your culture, well, that's completely impossible to change. Yeah, I'm sure they would be the same with a tax revolt. Like, I'm sure they'd be exactly this. Well, you know, the people, they just are not paying their taxes. We've entered into a world or a time frame of non-tax payment. Nothing we can do about it. It's, it's the climate. The climate is making people not pay their taxes. We can't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, right. They'd be, you, you try not paying your taxes, man, they'll get you real quick, real hard. So, yeah, they're pretty active when it comes to that stuff. But as far as this stuff, they're programming you to feel passive, helpless, ineffectual. Well, something that people don't mention, too, regarding climate change, if any of the provisions that are often talked about regarding clamping down on carbon output and that are put through... The places that are hit the hardest are going to be places like Africa that have large populations and an increase in the cost of energy means people are going to die. So let's not talk about climate change unless you're willing to accept and point out the fact that these types of regulations and sanctions are going to lead to lots of dead brown bodies in Africa. And the solution is not going to be bring them to Europe because then you have people from the third world now with first world energy outputs. So there is no immediate solution to this if you believe climate change is a problem, but I would like to hear more proponents, more people that are concerned about climate change, bring it up as just a, a fact. Yeah, it's right. something that people like to ignore, but <laughs> it can't be avoided. No, that's like waiting for the feminists to bring up the fact that a white male took over the presidency when there was a woman in the, uh, in the offing. They won't. I mean, they're watermelons, It would right? certainly establish a bit more credibility, yeah, and I would appreciate that. Things, uh, watermelons are green on the outside. Pure red on the inside. Environmentalism is largely just a mechanism for expanded state control and hatred of the free market, hatred of capitalism. And and telling you, you know, so much of the world, so much of the world's population is sustained by Western ingenuity, by Western vestigial free markets, by Western technology, by Western creative and productive genius. So much of the world's population come into the West, destroy the economies of the West. You're going to have a depopulation. I'm telling you, I don't want it to happen, but this will happen statistically. You're going to have a depopulation, the likes of which. You've never seen before, and you can't blame it. Any, any individual from, from Africa, from Egypt, from all these countries to say, oh, I can go to Europe and I can get two or 3,000 euros a month and a free MacBook Air. I mean, who wouldn't take that up? It's 10 times more than you can make slaving 12 hours a day in your home country, and you don't have to work. Who could possibly say no to that? I mean, I'm not blaming the migrants. It's a perfectly rational response. And... um it's the governments who have turned on their population. You have one job, one job, governments, to protect your local population, those who pay taxes. 
That's their job. Well, well I'm, I'm going to go a step further than it's the government's because the French people voted for this guy and it must be what they want. But the governments have raised them, right? And the governments have miseducated them and the governments have programmed them. This is back to my sort of original ambivalence I already mentioned about this. I can see mm-hmm. sort of both sides and I don't know where I'm going to end up, if any place, decisive on that. Lots of people were raised with that programming and propaganda and see the bodies on the streets and go, we need to do something, which is evidenced by the large increase in support for nationalistic populist candidates like Donald Trump and Marine Le Pen. So I know what you mean, and I don't disagree, but I, I'm not feeling much in the way of empathy for these people that won't even show up to the polls on a referendum for the future of their country and civilization. Right. When it comes to migration, there's some migration out of France. 10,000 millionaires left France in 2015, which was approximately 3% of the total number of millionaires in the country. So we don't have the number for 2016, but uh, I imagine that's going to continue as things continue to heat up in France. If you have options, if you have capital, you are going to go to the nice gated community where you're not going to have to deal with the impact of a migrant crisis. Do you think that, I wonder what the overlay would be of... Jews fleeing to Israel, because a lot of that has been happening in France uh, lately as well. And of course, Jews can often be quite wealthy. So I, I just wonder what the overlap is. But yeah, thousands of Jews are leaving France uh, out of fear of, of rising anti-Semitism. I might have the percentage wrong. I think it's around 70% of Jews in France wanted to leave. This was a study that came out very recently, and we talked about it in a recent presentation. They have an ethnostate to go to. They, they have an ethnostate to go to. I'm sure they're being completely criticized for that all all around the world. Ethnostates are bad stuff, don't you know that? We can't talk about an ethnostate. That's right. Otherwise, we have to punch you because you're a Nazi. Okay. Macron has also threatened Poland, yay, with sanctions for refusing to take in migrants from other European Union states like Italy and Greece. And as we mentioned, Italy is getting particularly swamped right now. So he said, quote, when the rights and values of the European Union are not respected, I I want sanctions to be taken. In the three months after I'm elected, there will be a decision on Poland. You cannot have a European Union which argues over every single decimal place on the issue of budgets with each country and which, when you have an EU member which acts like Poland or Hungary on issues linked to universities and learning or refugees or fundamental values, decides to do nothing, end <laughs> quote. So you're not taking in refugees. We must sanction you. Oh, it's I, not what the EU stands for. I think they're doing something. <laughs> With regards to refugees, I think it's France that isn't doing anything. But I like how he conflates, well, argue over every single decimal place on the issue of budgets, tiny little decimal places, pennies, who cares? Well, or fundamental values. It's like, what? How do you conflate these two things? It makes no sense whatsoever. A survey, we talked about this recently too, a survey question, refugees will increase the likelihood of terrorism. Hungary and Poland were at the top of the list uh, saying yes. Hungary, it was 76%, and Poland, 71%. So out of all the European countries, Hungary and Poland are the most based. They're the most concerned about the refugee crisis. So, And if we look at this, France was down at 46%, saying that refugees will increase the likelihood of terrorism. Well, but let's remember, Poland has a very small refugee population, and France has a very high one. Remember, whenever you, got a, whenever you are interviewing French people, it's important to know whether it's people from Algeria, people who are just off the boat from Africa, people who've been living Mm -hmm. in France for a thousand years. It is very complicated because France doesn't allow you to collect statistics by ethnicity. It's hard to break it down, but uh, it is is a complicated question as to say what do people in France believe and why. Hey, refugee, do you increase the likelihood of terrorism? No. (laughs) Glad we solved that. I guess French people feel safe. 
Uh, this is what he said about Marine Le Pen supporters. Oh, can I do this one, Mike? Can I? Oh, please go, go for <laughs> it. Thank you, thank you. Okay. I'm Just Marine Le Pen supporters. Just throw laugh at the end, please, please. Okay. They're here. It's they. It's they who are our true enemies. Powerful, organized, skillful, determined. You pass them in the streets, in the countryside, or on the web. Most often well hidden. As hateful as they are cowardly. Oh, you know them. The body of the agents of the disaster. The fear mongers. The French far right. It's here. They use anger. They propagate lies. For decades they have fanned hatred, fomented division, imposed their discourse of discrimination. They will invite you down to their planet. They will invite you into their Escher-style spaceship, and they will jump on your face, and they will set down their tubes in your throat, and they will lay their eggs in your chest, and it will erupt. And ha! I may have gone a little bit further than his actual speech. A little off script. But not, not, not particularly. Boy, talk about projection. We talked about projection earlier, right? Oh, yeah, they're fanning hatred and fomenting division. Those evil bastards who hate you and want to destroy us. It's like they're fear mongers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, good good luck ruling over the 8 million people who like Marine Le Pen now that you called them. It's even way worse than the deplorable thing. It's good to see that his concern is focused in the right direction. See, you, you have to just live with terrorism. But Marine Le Pen supporters? <laughs> they're totally evil. We got to do something about that. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Find him, catch him, string him up. They want to vote for a woman. Oh. This is the violence of the left and the globalism too. Like they, there, there are a lot of elements out there. Like they want you dead. I talked about. We talked about this with Mike Cernovich in a show recently. Left wing death camps. I mean, there is a murderousness to this kind of language. You can't back down or compromise from that stuff. And it does fuel. You know, I mean, that there's the problem with Antifa and, and sort of these extreme groups within um, America. But from what Listeners have told me about what goes on in Europe. Much more violent there. This is a way of whipping up the mob to use violence against Le Pen supporters. This is how how she gets attacked for hate speech, how she gets potentially charged with hate speech. She was charged with hate speech. And that he can say this. Can you imagine if, if people said this about Muslims or immigrants? I mean, they would be up against the wall. In, in, in France, in other countries as well. Hate speech and, and incitement to violence and so on. But you say this about Marine Le Pen supporters, and it's just reported like it ain't no thing. Read the quote again and replace the French far right with feminists or something and see the public reaction. It'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. So Robespierre, I mean, sorry, uh, Macron said that French society must assume a, quote, share of responsibility, end quote, in the, quote, soil, which... Jihadism thrives, he continued and said, quote, someone on the pretext that he has a beard or a name we could believe is Muslim is four times less likely to have a job than another who is non-Muslim. We have a share of responsibility because this totalitarianism feeds on the mistrust that we have all allowed to settle in society. Again, settle in society. Can't be any more passive than that. And if tomorrow we do not take care, it will divide them even more, end quote. And that tells you all you need to know about this guy. Because you see, he says totalitarianism feeds on mistrust. They're here. It's they. It's they who are our true enemies. The fear mongers. The cowardly, vicious, nasty, evil. Yeah, right. Totalitarianism feeds on mistrust. So he's basically saying that he's a totalitarian asshole who's sowing division, fanning hatred, 
and imposing mistrust on on everyone. So, yeah, Marine Le Pen supporters, completely hateful fear mongers, and, you know, they're just evil and the enemies of true France. But we got to be careful that people don't think badly Muslims because totalitarianism feeds on mistrust. Oh, God. And I'd just like to point out to anyone that believes what he's saying here, it's a tremendous business opportunity. If there's all these economically productive people that are unemployed, well, you can just sweep into the market, scoop up their talents, and you can edge out your competition by having more productive people. That'll probably work cheaper because, hey, they, they don't have other options. They can't get jobs. So just sweep in there, start a major business, and hey, Macron should have done that instead of running for president. Now, October 22nd of this year is the election in Germany, and there's no hope in Germany no, no, for it's a not positive election outcome. Yeah, Angela Merkel's party is already doing pretty well in, in local bio- runoff, so yeah, it's, there's no hope Again, in Germany. Again, it's clear what they want, and I'm glad that they're going to receive it. So good for Germany, good for France. America's not coming back, guys. America, the Commonwealth, uh, Canada, and uh, Australia, New Zealand, they're not coming back. Just want to point that out. Fool me once, you know, third time in 100 years. Thanks, but no. All right. Well, leaving the graveyard of France behind, we're going to move on to something which, I don't know, kind of similar in a way. New Milgram experiments have been conducted. A replication in Poland once again found that 90% of participants were willing to deliver the highest electrical shock. And this is a, this is a pseudo-educational thing, right? So Milgram originally said they, they, there was an actor behind a glass window, and you were told he was if he, re- if he read something wrong, you were going to give him a shock, and you kept dialing up the shock until it was clearly labeled potentially fatal. Mm-hmm. And before... And their screams. And this, and, yeah, the, the, the actress, right? They're not actually getting shocks, but they scream. They beg to stop. They, they complain that they have heart problems, that they, they're going to die. And before this experiment was first conducted, people thought, well, only a tiny percentage of people would actually go all the way to potentially fatal electrical doses. And it turned out that the vast majority of people are willing to go that far. And um, it was a pretty chilling reality. Uh, and what can I say? I mean, government schools, bad parenting, particular educational standards or religious standards, I don't know what exactly, but our capacity to stand up against authorities who want us to do evil appears to be very, very weak indeed. Yeah, so in the original, one original version of the study, 26 out of 40 participants continued to the highest shock level, two steps beyond the button labeled danger, severe shock. But that was 50 years ago. And I'm sure people are like, oh, that can't happen today. Well, 90% of people in this case, when teachers were telling them to continue, they went up to the highest shock level, even after hearing screams of pain from the learner. This has a lot to do with politics and the media as a whole. People just seem to be very willing to do things that people in positions of perceived authority tell them to do, regardless of their own personal experience. And how, how useful is it for those in power? that the vast majority of people are willing to basically kill other people if they're told to. This is not a war situation. This is not a matter of self-defense. There isn't a huge amount of propaganda. This is just some guy in a white coat with a clipboard saying, and, and they were told not to bully in the original, you know, the experiment requires that you continue. It is important that you continue. They were only allowed to use a couple of stock phrases. And how how powerful is it and how useful is it to the rulers that somehow society produces people with no moral center whatsoever, no capacity to say no. They weren't threatened. 
to continue. There were no negative consequences. They could stop any time they wanted. They were simply said, the experiment requires that you continue. That's all they were told. And they were willing to dial up things to the point where people would die or could die. How useful is it and how much has to go into shaping or destroying a human soul to the point where it's that malleable to authority and that susceptible to going against its own vestigial conscience? It is really quite astonishing. And uh, you know, people need to read about this experiment and read and think about your own life and think about what you would be like in that situation. Because everyone says, oh, I would never. Uh, but most people do. And, you know, you and I are probably in that number. Hopefully with philosophy and so on, there's a little bit more of a spine, which is one of the reasons why philosophy is so disliked by those in power, but is a very, very important thing. Next time you're at a dinner party, you got a dinner party there, there were 10 people, nine of them would kill if someone asks them to, statistically, or put people in risk of death if somebody just asked them to. Not force them to, ask them to. Nine, just look around the table. Once you see this, it's very hard to unsee. And once you see this, it's really hard to avoid that basic conclusion. There's something seriously wrong with how we're raised. There's something seriously wrong with society. You sit around a dinner party, there's 10 people, only one person wouldn't kill someone if they were asked. It really is quite astonishing. There was an attempt to separate this by gender, but the sample wasn't large enough to come up with anything that would be useful. But it would be interesting in the future to do a similar study, large scale, and break it down by gender, race, and religion. Are the evangelical Christians going to sit there and shock someone who's screaming? Or what kind of world religion mix would produce what kind of outputs? <laughs> yeah. In terms of, well, the person in there is a X religion, and you are a Y religion, and anyway, be fascinating. Vice published an article titled, Why Are So Many Women Searching for Ultraviolent Porn? The article says, quote, A quarter of straight porn searches by women are for videos featuring violence against their own sex. 5% of searches by women are for content portraying non-consensual sex. But why are so many women so keen to see videos tagged with, say, quote, painful anal crying, end quote, <laughs> quote, public disgrace, end quote, or, quote, extreme brutal gangbang, end quote, or content marked as forced or rape. The feminist porn movement, one focusing on equality and empowerment, might be thriving, but the data shows proportionally women are also consuming much more of the most extreme misogynistic sexual material available online. Well, that's an interesting question. Why is this tendency occurring? The much more fundamental question, Mike, is how is it men's fault? It has to be, because women can't have dark and sinister sexual desires that are masochistic or destructive or degenerate. And so it has to be men, like, it, because women are, are angels and, and helpless little butterflies in, in this giant storms of patriarchy, how is it, can, can we get that thread? I mean, because people are feeling disturbed, but the moment we can lay the blame on men, ah, I think people will feel a lot better about these basic facts. Well, British psychiatrist, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this man's name. Dr. Raj Perswad. You can go to the Vice article if you want to see the spelling on that. He said, quote, I think it's probably the case that women who've been abused have ended up with a disturbed view of sex. People who've suffered former psychological trauma or abuse are often in abusive relationships. They repeat the cycle. We don't know whether the people doing those searches are in an abusive relationship and are doing the searches because they are being coerced into doing so. <sighs> hmm. Sure. 
There are lots of unknowns. And without speaking to the women who are searching for this porn, we can't know whether they have been abused. What the search data shows is there's a secret side to people's lives, which psychologists can have difficulty difficulty accessing, end quote. So let's also co- co-join this. Data scientist Seth Stevens Dedivowitz said, if there is a genre of porn in which violence is perpetrated against a woman, my analysis of the data shows that it almost always appeals disproportionately to women. Researchers found that 52% of the women had fantasies about forced sex with a man, 32% about being raped, and 28% about forced oral sex with a man. Overall, 62% of the women reported having at least one fantasy around a forced sex act. Um, there's such large percentages of women that are interested in this stuff. Is it still misogynistic? Yes. <laughs> I, I can say this without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. The only answer that we need to this challenging and complex <laughs> question is it's men's fault and patriarchy. That's all I can tell you, Mike. I don't know anything else. Let's close the door and keep moving because we've got an answer. Madam, we've talked about the dark side of female nature on this show repeatedly over the years, and we mm-hmm. almost get the same pushback. There's all these white knights. Oh, women are angels. My mother was a saint. No, women have a dark side. Women have a dark side. Now, does that dark side come from child abuse? I'm sure it does. But who are they being abused by? Well, spanking is a quasi-sexual punishment, and there's lots of women out there who spank, lots of moms who abuse. We know about mean dads. They've been portrayed endlessly, and we all understand that, and we've, we've got sort of a place in our pantheon of immorality for evil dads and, and so on. But the dark side of female nature, the manipulative side, the destructive side, the false rape claims, the um, destruction of the family, the the susceptibility to vanity, the saying the kid is yours when it's not, like all this kind of stuff, along with this extreme focus of this, that a lot of women have on this sort of forced sexual fantasy act. Again, I'm not saying women want to be right. This is all fantasy stuff. I understand all of that. But still, I mean, the fact that the fantasy is about this stuff is important for people to ponder. I think that we will get a lot further in society when we accept that women are human beings like men. Women have a dark side like men, and we really need to absorb and understand this. And this women are wonderful effect is one of the ways in which, well, it's like it's like what I talked about recently, how the right is paranoid about what they say in emails because they know if anything gets out, the leftist media is going to take them to the cleaners, hang them from a tree. As long as we keep thinking women are wonderful, then the dark side of female nature is uncontrollable. It, it, it stalks the world. It, it's loose. Let slip the dogs of estrogen are loose on the planet. We need to understand that women have a dark side as men have a dark side as you and I have a dark side and recognize that they're capable of immorality. And we talk about this with the spanking and the child abuse uh, all the time. And here's an example. It's not immoral to have these fantasies, but it's weird. And it's not healthy, in my particular opinion. It is not healthy to fantasize about being raped. And where this comes from is really something that we need to process and understand and just say, oh, it's, I'm mean, joking about it, but oh, patriarchy. It explains nothing. And again, it's like blaming men and excusing women. This is something that needs to be further explored. And I hope that these researchers will continue down this uh, path. Well, there's a study from 2011 that found that women most likely to watch porn, especially the most extreme kinds, were those that had suffered sexual assaults and psychological violence at the hands of their families. Now, it's interesting that the psychiatrist that we mentioned earlier mentioned women are often in abusive relationships, just like they just showed up. They're just in abusive relationships as opposed to choices being made by people. How do children come about? Well, a woman says yes or no, (laughs) and then sex occurs, 
and babies come from sex. So the woman is in the position of saying yes or no to the potential suitor and possible father of her children. If there's abuse that occurs in that household, it starts with a yes or no from the mom. And every time we point that out, people get very upset, but it doesn't make it any less true. Lots of people have asked over the last couple of years for us to do a truth about porn. I think in the very near future, that would be something I'd be interested in putting together. Uh, if you're interested in a presentation on that from us, let me know if there's lots of enthusiasm. It'll be encouraged to do that research. Ha, 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 do research on porn. Yes, I know the joke. But let me know if you're interested in that, and we'll possibly put together a presentation. Yeah, I was reading that there's a website called Pornhub, which I'm sure is entirely unfamiliar to our listeners. They've recently, to some researchers, opened up their search history. And this is where some of this stuff, I, I think, is is coming from. And uh, mm. that that is a powerful snapshot into sexual motivations or, or what people find sexually exciting. And it is really quite a remarkable data set, I imagine. And again, I'm, I hope that researchers will continue to examine it because sex is why we're all here. It's a very powerful foundational motivational force. And I think we do need to get a clear sense of at least what the people who search for this material find enticing. I think it will be instructive and illustrative. And I think, you know, there is this general idea of porn, like it's a dirty male habit. But uh, that's, again, it's eclipsing, oh, women, they just want to see, like, you know, soft romantic scenes and so on. It's like, no, you know, I think Fifty Shades of Grey kind of blew that myth out of the water, so to speak. (laughs) And so I think we really need to keep exploring this kind of stuff and have conversations about it because, you know, that which is hidden is shameful and that which is shameful is self-destructive. And so I I hope that they'll keep going down this road. And, yeah, if you're interested, we'll, uh, we'll look more into this kind of data. You know, looking at these numbers, immigration policy seems to make a bit more sense in certain countries, but that's a whole nother question. Another thing that's in the news, there's a House bill to give Venezuelans path to legal residency in the United States. Yes, that Venezuela, you know, the one that's collapsing <sighs> under the weight of socialism, but it's not real socialism. I know, I know, I read Twitter. It's not real socialism, but it's a socialist dictatorship that is now collapsing. Yeah, so now there's a bunch of U.S. representatives, including, this is a name, a blast from the past. It'd be great if she stayed in the past, but she hasn't. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Hmm. They've reintroduced this bill to let Venezuelans either fleeing their country's violence and poverty or those that are already here illegally, (laughs) allowing them to gain legal permanent residency status. Let's reward the people from Venezuela that are in the United States illegally. Are you kidding me? You can make the case of refugees and looking at the the voter numbers for the refugees that fled Cuba and how they voted. Boy, they don't like much of that socialism slash communism. And they may have been responsible for giving Florida to Donald Trump. So if you're going to have refugees, refugees that just escaped the communist socialist dictatorship and hellhole would be probably the best refugees to take. But at the same time, rewarding people that entered the country illegally long before the socialist empire fell? Yeah, I'm not signing on for that. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, I will exchange a certain number of Venezuelan refugees for the U.S. celebrities who praised Hugo Chavez's socialism. Like, to <laughs> me, that's just like a border swap, uh, and that would be that would be fine. Plus, you know, I think uh, given that the average person in Venezuela under socialism has lost 17 to 19 pounds. You could trade. I'd take two or three of them for Michael Moore, who, you know, could 
deorbit himself a little bit. So just trade them by weight. Yeah, we'll that's that. right. That'll work. Yeah, just just put two big giant baskets in a a weigh scale. So. <laughs> So the bill would officially allow Venezuelans without criminal records. Again, you're in the country illegally, so that's a criminal record. But I guess if you're fleeing violence and you don't have a criminal record, because Lord knows the records in Venezuela are just immaculate right now. God help us. So those that arrived in the U.S. prior to January 1st, 2013, to apply for legal permanent residence status, and Venezuelans would have until January 1st, 2021, to apply. So lots of time to apply. I, I guarantee they're not Cubans because the only reason that the Democrats would want them in is because they're going to vote left. There's, there's no other way. There's no, they don't care about the Venezuelans. If they did, then they would have uh, spoken out against socialism. No, they, they just, I guarantee, it's not the Cuban situation. There's no way that they would want them in if they weren't going to vote left. So that's just a reality. All right. Well, moving to another situation that has something to do with immigration. There's a measles outbreak in Minnesota, and it's grown to 41 cases. The Minnesota Department of Health reported that the number of measles cases diagnosed in the state jumped to 41, and 34 of the cases are Somali-Minnesotan. This seems to be a primarily Somali immigrant, Somali refugee issue. This is part of the joys of human biodiversity, right? Uh, And uh, people coming into your country who don't have um, inoculations, don't have shots, and who may have some pretty freaky varieties of garden variety illnesses, so... Again, it's just not talked about. Everyone can have all the compassion. This is why we say help them in Africa, help them in the Middle East, as we've said a million times on this show. You can help 12 to 13 times as many people by resettling them locally than you can by bringing them into the West. But again, if you resettle them locally, they don't get to vote Democrat. So obviously that's not a solution for the Dems. Slightly more positive news. The creator of the world's largest kiddie porn site just got 30 years in prison. A man who federal prosecutors said was the creator and lead administrator, I wonder if he had a business card, of what was thought to be the world's largest child pornography website has been sentenced to 30 years in prison. Stephen Chase created a website called Playpen in Mm. August of 2014. Yeah, I know. His arrest in December of 2014 set off a sweeping global probe into the users of the members-only forum. Nearly 900 suspected pedophiles have been arrested and almost 300 children identified or rescued from their abusers following the investigation that led to Playpen's takedown. So good job, authorities. For for once, it wasn't Paul. Or was it? I don't know anymore. Now, this operation, which was dubbed Operation Pacifier, which, gross, it's not without controversy. So the investigation began when the FBI used malware to effectively seize the website and server. They operated it for several more weeks. The investigators then hacked and tracked site users by sending additional malware to their computers, and the operation is being critiqued because is this, is this ethical to take over the website, run the website containing some very illegal and immoral material, and then hack other people's computers based on the IP addresses that you get? I'm just glad that these 300 children were rescued. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, you know, they say this about free speech, that the, the challenge with free speech is the people who are the most objectionable. And... This is really remarkable just under Trump's administration. And obviously this had been going on for a long time. But the number of pedophiles and pedophile rings that are being broken and the number of pedophiles or accused pedophiles who are being arrested is really quite remarkable. It's gone up an enormous amount. And I don't like malware attacks and so on. But, you know, I understand Tor is pretty anonymous and hard to track and all that kind of stuff. And 
But so I don't I don't like but again it's it's the temptation. It's like it's like the North Korea thing we talked about. This is great temptation. So if if they use this malware, they can go and get these horrible creeps who have these kinds of images, who are trading this kind of stuff, who are creating a market for this kind of abuse, this kind of horror that is inflicted on kids. And actually, quite interestingly, there was a Dr. Phil on recently where he had a woman on who was part of an international elite pedophile ring. And uh, I know Mike Sunovich has talked about this and other people. It would be interesting to see how far this stuff goes. We've looked at it in in England. We've looked at it in, in other places where these people seem to operate at the very highest levels. I mean, you and I were talking recently about an ex-British PM who was implicated in this kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I hate the idea that they got this malware and they're sending it around and, of course, they can't get search warrants and so on. But I'll tell you, I mean, to, to take these creeps uh, out of society and to rescue these kids, I mean, I'm telling you, if, if there's a place to do it, this would be a place to do it. Now, the North Carolina House, again, they passed it. It's the House. It's not law yet, so you know, don't go on a road trip. They passed HB 330, the bill allowing drivers to legally drive through protesters who block roads. Well, let's be, let's be a little bit more specific rather than the attention grabbing. The bill basically says if a person is, quote, exercising due care, end quote, while driving through a protest because – Lots of people do that. He or she can hit people who are blocking traffic in a public street or highway with their car. The supplement bill allowing them to back up, I think, still remains barked <laughs> down in committee. Just kidding. Just kidding, everyone. But yeah, that I, is I, uh, there. It's going to pass in the law. But if your beloved mother is in an ambulance and there are a bunch of lefty welfare sucking lunatics blocking the road because of some crap that they're upset about, you willing to sacrifice your mom's life? For these guys uh, who don't have an argument and are, in fact, blocking roads that taxpayers have paid for, maybe your mom paid for them with her taxes her whole life, are you willing to let her die in the back of an ambulance? Or do you think the ambulance would just be able to get through? And if it drives over someone's foot, well, you know, at least there's an ambulance there right there to take them to hospital. Blocking roads so emergency vehicles can't get through? Who do you think you are, Chris Christie? <laughs> Ooh, there, there's some subtle political humor that takes a little bit of knowledge, but all right. A report from the FBI finds that officers are, quote, de-policing, end quote, as anti-cop hostility becomes the new normal. So this is from the Washington Times. They say an unclassified FBI study on last year's cop killing spree found that officers are de-policing amid concerns that anti-police defiance fueled in parts by movement like Black Lives Matter has become the new norm. Mm. Defiance. Gunning down police officers is defiance. Okay. This is the study itself, a quote, departments and individual officers have increasingly made the decision to stop engaging in proactive policing. The report, called Assailant Study, Mindset and Behaviors, said that the social justice movement sparked by the 2014 death of 18-year-old Michael Brown at the hands of an officer in Ferguson, Missouri, quote, made it socially acceptable to challenge and discredit the actions of law enforcement. Nearly every police official interviewed agreed that for the first time, law enforcement not only felt their national political leaders publicly stood against them, but also that the politicians' words and actions signified that disrespect to law enforcement was acceptable in the aftermath of the Brown shooting. Sorry, Mike, can you just, just before we go on, if you could just refresh me, how is this Donald Trump's fault? He was in office in 2014, if I remember rightly. (laughs) Uh, Systematic racism, something, something, orange, stakes. 
Well, this is, you know, then and, and we pushed back hard against this narrative. Oh, I yes. even rapped during my video about Michael Brown. We pushed back Michael Brown. We pushed back hard against this narrative because it was as clear as sunrise tomorrow that if this narrative, you know, hands up, don't shoot, he was gunned down, execution style, like all of the stuff with Philando Castillo, the same thing, all of this stuff that was talked about, which was false, false, completely, utterly, and totally false, a lie put forward by social justice warriors and race baiters and accepted, I think, to some degree, by the Department of Justice and by Obama himself. Well, I mean, as he did with the Trayvon Martin thing, which we'll get to in a second. Trayvon Martin, oh, it could be me at that age. Oh, man. I mean, of course, it was as predictable as sunrise that the police were going to pull back and that people in minority neighborhoods, people in poor neighborhoods, blacks, Hispanics, and some whites, and I guess one Asian guy, were going to die. We're going to die, be maimed, be killed. And, and Baltimore, are they panicking now? They simply can't find a way to control the violence? Chicago? I mean, this is, you de-police, blacks are going to get killed. And so all of those who are like, you know, well, we, we stand, Black Lives Matter. No, they don't to you. They don't matter You don't to give you. a shit about black people. Yeah, they don't matter to you. These are, these are kids getting killed in drive-bys. These are uh, people getting shot through the window as they're trying to read the paper in their armchair. These are innocent people, innocent blacks being killed. Because you had to push your race-baiting bullshit to generate votes for the Democrats. So my conscience is clear. You know, this is why I pushed hard for France as well. I'm always sweeping backwards, making sure I'm not leaving a trail of inactivity or a trail of inaction so that my conscience is clear. I have pushed back very hard against all of the lies that have pushed this depolicing narrative. Mike and I have worked incredibly hard and taken great risks and been really, really exposed to people who, oh, you're racist. Or, we have pushed hard. Because life in a poor black neighborhood is bloody well hard enough. And if you throw in depolicing, like somehow the police are the enemies of the blacks. No, the police are the enemies of criminals. Yes, now to be fair, as a result of race and IQ, as a result of the breakdown of the black family and the welfare state and all the stuff we've talked about, yes, blacks are disproportionately represented in crime. There are lots of blacks who want to live a peaceful life and, and, and a good life and hardworking life who desperately need the police to keep other people from going truly feral in their neighborhoods. And those people who are just pushing this anti-cop narrative, you're getting poor people killed. You're getting poor people killed. Maybe you can live with yourself to do with that. Maybe you don't care. I care. I mean, I grew up in a poor neighborhood. I understand how important the police can be when things are pretty hairy. Maybe these old privileged people, I don't know. But Michael Brown was killed because he attacked a cop, tried to take his gun, and charged him. He was killed because he committed suicide by attacking a cop. He chose his own death to a large degree. And that's not the fault of the cops. That's not the fault of white racism, because if a white person, if a guy with four tentacles coming out of his forehead had done that exact same thing to a cop, he would have been shot too. So just for everyone who's out there, like I really want people to get this uncomfortable icy centipede of guilt going up and down their spine. Like you really need to understand this. If you support these, oh yeah, oh yeah, shot executions out. Did you hear? If you spread these rumors, if you fueled this, if you talked this up, 
It's an overused phrase, but it's really accurate. There is blood on your hands, the blood of innocent, the blood of blacks, the blood uh, the blood of other poor people in these neighborhoods. You have caused or contributed to the deaths of innocent people. This is the consequence of pushing this kind of narrative. And this is why I push back against it. I don't want people in Africa to starve to death. I don't want people to get shot in poor neighborhoods, in black neighborhoods. I don't want this. We must push back against these falsehoods. People are getting killed, and it's only getting worse. Not just cops, of course, right? But the cop has to think twice now about everyone he stops. This is true of the Freddie Gray stuff. This is true of a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about in this Walter Scott stuff and so on. More ambivalent than that. And I don't necessarily agree with the shooting of, of Walter Scott, but there was complicating situations going on there as well, as we've talked about in the show. But when you start to put these kinds of barriers in, in front of law enforcement, okay, so maybe you feel like a tough guy and you feel like you're a rebel standing with the, the other rebels against the man and so on, but you're peddling lies and people are getting killed. And maybe you can live with yourself. I don't know how, though. I'd just like to encourage everyone to go and listen to the interview we did with Heather McDonald on the channel. It's called The War on Cops. She has a book under the same title, which is excellent at breaking down some of the consequences of this de-policing. So if you actually care about the people in these communities that are being treated apparently so badly by cops, well, look at the impact on these communities when the police stop showing up. It's, uh, it's not as rosy as you'd like to think is your virtue signaling with your Starbucks latte in hand. Yeah, and, and who wants the cops to not be in these neighborhoods? The good people? No. Who are you allying yourselves with? Anyway, it's it's gross, and I, I I really want people to feel uncomfortable if they're pushing this kind of stuff, and maybe you, you certainly can't bring the people back to life that you may have helped contribute to their deaths, but at least you can stop doing it in the future. And it'd be nice if there was some circling back to realize, hey, we got this whole hands-up-don't-shoot thing completely wrong. It'd be nice if the media did that. It'd be nice if the activists did that. But nope, just moving forward, continue on as if it is fact. Discredited or not, it's repeated as if it's true because facts don't matter when you got a narrative to push. So the last story today, I mean, it's a dark story. It's kind of humorous for its absurdity. Trayvon Martin. Well, Steph, why don't you read this one? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Trayvon Martin has been awarded a posthumous degree in aeronautical science. A historically black college plans to award Trayvon Martin a posthumous degree later in May. Florida Memorial interesting, Memorial University will present a Bachelor's of Aeronautical Science May 13th to Martin's parents. The school plans to host a fundraiser for its Department of Aviation and Safety and for the Trayvon Martin Foundation after the ceremony. The sure that has nothing the to do with is, the decision. Yeah, the statement is, Florida, the, the university will confer upon Trayvon Martin a posthumous degree in aeronautical science with, the, with a concentration in flight education in honor of the steps he took during his young life to becoming a pilot. A pilot? I never, I never heard about this stuff. I mean, I saw a lot of pictures of him when he was 12 and then saw a lot of pictures of a theoretically non-injured George Zimmerman, which then turned out to be significantly injured. And I heard a lot of complaints uh, that uh, George Zimmerman shouldn't have followed him or talked to him because, I don't know, apparently in some parallel universe that stuff's illegal. But um, this guy was uh, accused of theft. Uh, he was taking some pretty mind-altering substances. And he was a racist against whites, referred to as a creepy-ass cracker following him. He was a racist against whites. How did he... Uh, how did he get this degree? Well, because apparently he was interested in planes. 
So Trayvon's uncle, Ronald Fulton, had a brief career in aviation. And he claims that Martin saw his future in planes. He loved flying and working with his hands. Barrington Irving took him on his plane at the Opelaka Airport. He got a chance to sit in the cockpit, and that did it for him. He wanted to be a pilot or work as a mechanic in aviation. He was mechanically inclined and could fix just about anything. So the steps that he took to becoming a pilot, he's, he sat in a cockpit. Sat, I like planes. He sat in a cockpit. <sighs> what can you say? I mean, what, what can you say? What can you possibly say to this? Other than this is more of the sentimentalization, right? That that he was a good boy, he didn't do anything wrong, he was turning his life around, he was going to be a pilot and so on. Oh, come on. I think that there are tragedies in Trayvon Martin's life, and those tragedies had a lot to do with government policies, had a lot to do with welfare, had a lot to do with bad education, had a lot to do with family problems. There were tragedies, but he was not a victim. He was an attacker. He was assaulting a man. He was taking actions and slamming a man's head against a sidewalk to the point where the man legitimately feared for his life and shot him in self-defense. He was a violent attacker. He was a criminal. And he was shot, not because he was slapping someone, not because he said mean words, not because he even punched someone, because he was pounding someone's skull against the pavement. And that person, George Zimmerman, had every reason to believe he was about to die. This was, I don't say legally, but in terms of just how it played out, attempted murder. So there's this sentimentalization that occurs which is very dangerous. And it's part of what we were talking about before. So These are the heroes. These are the heroes. Yeah. October 2011, Trayvon Martin's backpack was searched at a school, at his school, and they found 12 pieces of ladies' jewelry, a man's watch, and a flathead screwdriver described as a burglary tool. See, now, as far as his career trajectory goes, I'm going to put a little more stock in that rather than he sat in an airplane once. As far as where his general career was going to go in the long run, I think he was probably throwing a bit more of his time, effort, and energy into figuring out how to pick locks and steal stuff than he was in becoming a pilot. When Trayvon was questioned about who owned the jewelry, he claimed, oh, I was just holding it for a friend. He had been suspended from school on three different occasions and known was known for getting in fights, including one only months before his death, as we talked about in one of our bigger presentations. The truth about Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. Martin took a mile-long walk in the pouring rain to buy Skittles and an Arizona watermelon fruit juice cocktail. These are two ingredients in a druggy concoction known as lean scissorp, or purple drank, which requires codeine, soft drink, and candy. According to his Facebook post, Martin had been using lean since at least June 2011. High doses are sometimes compared to the effects of other dissociatives such as PCP or ketamine. PCP, also known as I can take on 10 cops. And this is the call, right? February 26, 2012. It's amazing, right? Just just a little over... Seems like yesterday. Yeah, a little but... over five years ago. Holy. Oh, that's when I was going through my... I was bald for that one, right? You were. I'm not sure if the eyebrows had gone yet, but you yeah, were in the I was bald chemotherapy. From chemo. Oh, yeah, boy, skinhead doing, oh, man, how did that ever Steph, get big? Steph, if we want to get another million-view presentation, you got to shave your eyebrows. That's, That's right. That's right. Oh, man. So these are the comments, and we talked about this. You sh- people should check out this. It's a, it's a great presentation, if I do say so myself. Shockingly short. Anyway, Zimmerman said, this guy looks like he's up to no good, or he's on drugs or something. It's raining, and he's just walking around looking about. 
the dispatcher said, okay, and this guy, is he black, white, or Hispanic? Zimmerman said, he looks black. Now, NBC News played an edited version of Zimmerman's comments. Quite different. Incredibly misleading. So they edited out the dispatcher asking Zimmerman the race of the person he was following. (laughs) You know what's interesting, Mike? I just noticed this now. (laughs) They didn't say Oriental or East Asian. Why isn't that black, white, or Hispanic? You know, there's another category. (laughs) In fact, a couple other categories, if you want to do it that way. I did not say Inuit, did not say East Asian, did not say... (laughs) Anyway, just interesting. Statistically, you know, that would be very unlikely. So NBC News took out the question. They had Zimmerman saying, this guy looks like he's up to no good. He looks black, like it was, you know, of course he... Right? George Zimmerman, racially mixed, right? He's got white, Hispanic, and black roots. His grandmother had an Afro-Peruvian father. So the media, of course, lightened up his photos, portrayed him as a racist white male. There's some uh, Asians that have even been turned into racist white men in recent police shootings or police confrontations. It's funny how that works out. And Trayvon Martin, of course, they put these little little kid pictures of him. The reality, Trayvon Martin, 5'11", 158 pounds. The media says, oh, he's 140 pounds. That's 18 pounds or over 11% less than his actual body weight. And again, this younger than 17 looking, smiling Trayvon Martin during their coverage. Of course, there are pictures that they could have of him using drugs and so on. And George Zimmerman, two inches shorter, heavier, 194 pounds. And they used a seven-year-old mugshot of a much heavier Zimmerman, which implies a bigger size difference and, you know, acted to discredit his claim of self-defense, right? You get this big, hulking, ogre-looking fellow, and then you get this picture of this, like, smiling little kid and, oh, self-defense. And this is part of the whole narrative that has fueled this kind of stuff. And again, if the media cared, if, if black lives mattered to the media... They would never do this kind of stuff because everybody knows exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be civil unrest. There may be riots. There may be violence, burnings. And they have continually pushed this stuff. They don't care. They're using blacks for political leverage. They're using blacks to whip up resentment, to race bait, to drum up votes for the Democrats. Do they care about the bodies in their wake? Apparently not. Because there's not been, you know, at least at least with the Iraq war, they did circle back a little bit and say, well, you know what, what went wrong, we got it wrong, and so on. With this stuff, much. I wouldn't say more disastrous. Iraq was one of the greatest disasters around. But no circling back, to, to my knowledge. No, like, how did we get it so wrong? And let's put procedures in place so this doesn't happen again, because it just seems to keep happening again and again. And the only respite we get from these kinds of race-baiting stuff, the only respite we ever get is when the Democrats signed up for re-election. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Please let us know what you like, how you're enjoying these conversations, what we can do better, what we could do differently, uh, other stuff that you'd like to hear uh, about or see about if you're <laughs> looking at the spangly stuff on the screen. And just remind people, please, please go to freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Very, very important. freedomainradio.com slash donate. Follow me on Twitter. At Stefan Molyneux. And last but not least, fdrurl.com slash Amazon. If you've got some shopping to do, costs you nothing, helps us out a little bit. We appreciate every little bit of your support. And please like and subscribe and share as much as you possibly can in these very trying times. The more philosophy, the better.